Would you please turn with me to your study outlines there in your program? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends at the Baptist Community Church in Arco, Idaho, and also at Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for a study that we've been doing uh, this month called Uniquely Made, Tools for Understanding How God Made Each of Us. And if you missed my introduction, I did the entire message, I did it with an introduction three weeks ago when I introduced the series, I'd encourage you to go to purposechurch.com tools. And if you go to that, you can watch my introduction or any of the others that you want to catch up on. But the most important thing is to take the free test. There's a free test uh, to see which of the nine personality types uh, that God made you uh, to be. And it's funny how our families have been interacting uh, about this. Uh, boy, I just got a text from one of my daughters about what, what number son-in-law is, just even between the services. And we've been talking about it a lot as a family. As a matter of fact, we've been so into it that this morning, uh, right next to my, ray, my shaving cream uh, where I was going to shave, uh, here was a birthday card from my wife, Kimberly. And I won't tell you what the first half of it is. I'll keep that to myself. But uh, that's private. But at any rate, uh, she finished it by saying, thank you for being my three with much love, Kimberly, you're two slash eight with a one wing. And so uh, you can see we're getting way too deep into this. But I was talking to one family a few days ago, and the two adult, young adult daughters are just loving the series. But the dad, not so much. And so the, one of the daughters said to her dad, she goes, Dad, remember all those left-brain apologetic series that we had to sit through with Pastor Glenn? Well, this is our turn, okay? This is our turn. So we're trying to develop your left side of your brain and your right side of your brain because it's bad to be imbalanced in your brain. Your head droops one side or the other if we grow one too much. So this is payback time uh, for all those left-brain apologetic messages. So today we come to the five, the investigator or the investigative thinker, uh, the intense cerebral type, uh, they are perceptive, they're insightful, they're curious, but uh, sometimes that can lead them uh, to being isolated. Uh, fives are driven by logic and straight uh, thinking more than emotions and can tend to be distant and aloof if unhealthy. But when they are Christ-centered and whole, they can bring brilliance and insight to scriptural truths. Uh, my favorite quote that summarizes the type five is Sherlock Holmes I cannot live without brain work. What else is there to live for? Uh, their core fears are uh, being annihilated, invaded, or not existing, being thought incapable or ignorant, having obligations placed upon them, or their energy depleted. And their basic desire is being capable and competent. So see if any of these describe you as I uh, read these 20 traits of what it's like uh, to be a type 5. I can, number one, I can take care of myself, and I think others could do the same. I don't always say things out loud, but in my head, I'm pretty sarcastic and cynical. I often feel awkward around other people. I'm okay if people ask me a few specific questions about myself, but I don't like it when people want too much information. I need time alone. If I want people to know how I feel, I will tell them. I generally wish they wouldn't ask. I think thoughts are more reliable than feelings. I need a couple of days to process an experience or know how I feel about something. People are wasteful. I hold on to what I have. Often I find that I would rather observe than participate. I trust myself. 
That means I think about things for a while and then I make my own decisions. I can't understand why people get together to, quote, just hang out. I'm a listener. I have to be very careful with my time and energy. I get tired when I have to be with people for too long. I often felt invisible as a child. Sometimes as an adult, I choose to be invisible. Sometimes I think I should be more generous. It's hard for me to be generous. In groups, being uninformed makes me very uncomfortable. I don't like big social gatherings. I'd rather be with a few people. Material possessions don't make me happy. So how many of you think there might be even a pinch of five in you? Let me, let me see your hands. Okay, I see some of the hands around here. That's great. How many of you think you might know a five? Anybody know a five? Okay, we all know a five. Um, I have a son, Andrew, that's going to be here at the 1111 service. He's up in Palmdale. He, he, he's probably a five. He, after all, he's an air traffic controller. So that is like a perfect uh, profession for a five. My son-in-law, our son-in-law, Aaron, is, uh, he's a Math for America scholar, and he's most likely uh, a five. He's the mathematician. My other son's the air traffic controller. And these poor two young men are stuck in our family of wild and crazy emotional people. And they are the Spocks on our ship enterprise with all the craziness that goes on in our family. So how I typically communicate. When fives are healthy, I can be respectful, non-intrusive, curious, observant, and engage in stimulating conversations with others. And so let's look at a couple of healthy examples from, from the Bible. Uh, first of all, healthy questioning Nicodemus. Now, I didn't come up with this one. Somebody else came up. I'll read you their email in just a moment. But in John 3, verses 1 through 3, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And you may be this afternoon want to continue reading all through John chapter 3. This begins what is possibly the greatest conversation in all of human history. This, that conversation that's recorded there in John 3 is maybe the greatest conversation uh, that there has, has ever been. Maybe the most important conversation that's ever taken place. Uh, Matt Tyler from our church family, uh, he wrote me uh, this email about what it's like to be a five. Hey Glenn, you said to email you if we have ideas on who in the Bible could be our number. As a fully-fledged investigator, I really identify with Nicodemus, not only in his initial approach and inquisition of Jesus, but in his mastery of intellectual material. I'm by no means comparing myself to someone of his status or intellect. These are the two main ways in which I relate to Nicodemus. He hears the message from Jesus, but couldn't wrap his head around it. He tries to work it out logically, which is his downfall. He even takes Jesus so literally when questioning him personally. His thought process is too ingrained in the intellectual realm and not in the spiritual realm, which is balanced out by feelings and emotion. It is also a tendency of fives to master a skill or material. We tend to get obsessive about learning, researching, or practicing, and are validated by gaining knowledge and skills. It makes us feel secure not to be better than others at something, but just to maximize our own potential and exhaust a certain topic. I think this most definitely would lead to somewhat of Nicodemus' position as a Pharisee. 
For me, I do quite often go down the rabbit hole of reading and researching, but mainly practicing. Time goes away when I'm working on my photography craft, design skills, and especially practicing piano. For fives, isolation is not even a consideration because our inner worlds are just so doggone stimulating. I mean, their inner worlds are so exciting. Who would bother with the external? External factors such as eating, sleeping, or social interaction often serve as a mere distraction from the really interesting parts of life. Maybe that's getting into the realm of unhealthy tendencies of this type. I hope this is helpful. Take this analysis for what it's worth. After all, I'm just an art major. Uh, thank you, Matt, Matt Tyler. So maybe you can identify with, with Matt and you can identify with Nicodemus. Now here's another great healthy investigator, uh, Luke. And we're so grateful for Luke because of his being an investigator. We have two very key books in the Bible. He wrote Luke and the book of Acts. I mean, if we only had those two books, we'd be in, in, in pretty good shape, but maybe throw Romans in there as well. But he wrote two of maybe the three key books there. Well, John, and I wouldn't want to go away with that one either. So, and Ephesians, never mind. Okay, we don't want to do, would do without any of them. But here's what he, he writes as he prepares to write the biography of Jesus. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Now, when fives are unhealthy, I can be overly brief, cold, and intellectually arrogant. I might uh, withdraw or detach when I feel relational obligations uh, placed on me. And so a couple of unhealthy examples are, first of all, well, who we call Doubting Thomas. Now, there's a mistake. Uh, I, I did a mistake there in your, in your program. It's actually John 20, verses 24 and 25. Now, Thomas, this is after the resurrection, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, this is a detail that we often overlook. All the other disciples, in their grief of the death of Jesus, they turned to each other. Uh, to process. They turn towards each other for mutual encouragement. But there's one of them that goes off by himself. And so he's not there when Jesus appears to him. And so in verse 25, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Jesus later rebukes him for, for, for doubting. But on the other hand, Jesus is gracious to him and eventually appears and shows him the nail scars in his hands, shows him the spear wound in his side. Now, when we're done uh, with this series, we're going to be doing a verse-by-verse -verse study uh, of the parables of Jesus. And one of them that we're going to look at is the parable of the bags of gold. You know it better as the parable of the talents, but now in, in more contemporary translations, they call it the parable of the bags of gold. And so uh, this master came and he gives each of his servants a different number of bags of gold. And he gives one of them uh, five bags of gold. And he goes out and generously, you know, it says, it says in Ecclesiastes, cast your bread upon the waters and you'll receive it back in time. So he invests it and he gets five bags more for a total of 10. Another one had two bags, he invests it, 
he gets two bags back for a total of four. But the one with only one bag did this in Matthew 25, uh, verse 18. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. This was the unhealthy hiding servant. And so one of the things that I'd like to challenge uh, those that are fives, fives can sometimes struggle with being generous to God's work. And, and we can all struggle with that. But, but particularly, this is a struggle to sometimes release that uh, financially to, to God's work in order to uh, do spiritual investment like we saw with the missionaries all around the world. And sometimes that can be a struggle. So here are uh, three practical steps for the fives. Number one, invite a trusted person to coffee, making time for relational participation and connection. Uh, number two, enjoy their company. Allowing yourself to be present and vulnerable, engage in the conversation, even if the person disagrees with one of your ideas. And this is probably a good recommendation for all of us, right? To engage in conversation, even if somebody disagrees with our ideas. Uh, number three, increase your giving to God's work or people in need. Stretch yourself in that area uh, because we believe that generous people uh, transform the world. And then, and then the second category uh, that you'll see there is to um, what leads to conflict for those that are fives. What leads to conflict? Being intruded on. My time and energy being demanded by someone without giving me advance notification. Informational Information I shared with someone privately about myself being shared with others. Now, nobody likes that, but fives really don't like it. Being forced to participate in emotionally heavy conversations when others don't recognize that I'm more sensitive than I project, not being given enough time to recharge. And then how to show fives love, being independent and not clingy, speak in brief and straightforward manner, interactions with people drains my inner resources to depletion. Therefore, I need a lot of alone time to recharge and process my feelings and, and my thoughts. Um, next slide. Please understand that this need to replenish alone is not a sign that I do not like you or others. I simply need to restore my inner resources so I can rejoin and participate again. I don't like surprises, intrusions on my privacy, too many emotions, needy people, and obligations. <laughs> Okay, and then what can we learn from uh, the fives of our church family? Here's what we can learn. We should deeply contemplate the Christian life and investigate all parts of it. This is what I love about the fives. I, I really feel challenged. I love the fives within our church family because they are not content with a shallow Christianity. They are not content with a shallow biblical understanding. They're the ones that challenge us. Go Go deep in the Christian life. Go deep in our understanding of God's word. Go, go deep in how we as a church and as individual Christ followers can, can keep sharpening how we can be even more effective at, at touching people with Jesus and reaching people in the name of Jesus. How, how can we be more effective in serving others, serving the world around us? We should deeply contemplate the Christian life and investigate all parts of it if we're going to be the most effective at reaching people for Christ, serving God, and growing uh, spiritually. Now, Pastor Lisa is going to come up uh, to talk about uh, type six, uh, the, the loyalist. The loyalist, the loyal guardian, the loyal friend. Um, so there's someone who's committed, security-oriented type. They're engaging, responsible, trustworthy, and a little 
anxious. So sixes are ones that anticipate life's dangers. They can struggle with fear and anxiety, but when they are Christ-centered and they are open to loving others well and trusting the promises of God. So we're going to hear a little bit from confessions from an Enneagram six. I sometimes fixate on what I know in order to be safe. I like to think about everything that could be scary before it actually happens. Where's the nearest exit? Where would I go if there was a fire? What if hail flattens my car? What if there is an alien invasion? Don't laugh. It could happen. It could all happen. And I've thought about it and I will be prepared. If plan A, B, or C does not work out, don't worry, there's 23 other letters of the alphabet, and I have got them all covered with a plan. It makes me feel prepared. It makes me feel like I could survive. I can be loyal and protect the ones that I care about. I take this responsibility deeply, and I trust no one but myself to make sure that it happens. Cue anxiety girl. This is my superhero right here. Well, we love our sixes. Does anyone feel like maybe got a little six in them? All right. Anybody know a six? Who knows a six? All right. So our sixes, I'm pretty sure, invented this game. It is called the worst case scenario game. Have you ever seen this game? So the way that you play this game is there's cards that come up, and so you have to think about what you would do to handle the worst case scenario. So things like how to climb a coconut tree, just in case you've never thought about how to handle this situation, or how to eat a rat or a mouse. Like I have, this has never crossed my mind, ever. Have I ever thought about this? Okay, how about this one? How to control a runaway camel. Now, this is one I actually do think about because as director of Journey to Bethlehem, we have to think about the camel that's going to be on campus in just a few months, okay? So now I know some of you sixes did not even know there was a game like this that existed, and right now you're like, oh my gosh, get out Amazon. I'm ordering it now. Amazon Prime will have it at your house before you get home today. It's going to be awesome. Yes, it's a good day. Well, um, motto for our sixes, what is it that they kind of resonate with? It's always have an escape plan. They need to know where it is and when it's coming and how to, how to make it happen. Um, and so they have some core fears too, like all numbers. And the core fears of our sixes are feeling fear itself, being without support, security, or guidance, being blamed, being targeted, being alone, or physically abandoned. And here's their core desire. Their basic desires is having guidance, security, and support. So sixes are looking for something or someone to believe in. But here's the thing. Even as they're looking for an authority figure in their life, they're naturally suspicious. And so it's a little bit hard for them to actually put their trust in someone, which is why sixes are amazing Christ followers, because with the person of Jesus as someone they can really hold on to and put their faith in and trust. But sixes are also our world's devil's advocates, because they are very good at um, kind of 
find loopholes because their kind of their basic sense of fear is constantly causing them to look for something that is going to make sure that they can figure out the situation. And so they find those loopholes to know how to navigate them. Um, but they also are sometimes really feel disrupted by a sense of insecurity. Um, but this also makes them excellent troubleshooters. Sixes can kind of navigate a problem and troubleshoot it. And so this makes them the glue that holds a lot of our families together. It's the glue that holds a lot of our institutions or our businesses together. Our sixes are awesome at doing that. So let's look at how a six will typically communicate. When I am healthy, when I'm doing well, I'm warm, caring, compassionate, witty, funny, a good listener, and I like to engage in a healthy two-way conversation. But when I'm not doing so well, when I'm a little unhealthy, I can be overly reactive, I can be anxious, skeptical, suspicious, not trusting, doubting of others and myself, and questioning of others. So sixes really like to prevent problems from happening. <clears throat> they like to prevent them before they start. And so um, they are, they're really intuitive people. There's kind of their superpower is the ability to read people. So they kind of have a, a radar up for finding anything ingenuine or anything false in people. And so they tend to be really good at reading people. Um, and we've got an incredible couple of examples in Scripture that we're going to look at in, um, in the Bible today. So one of these is Ruth. Now, Ruth is someone and the way her story unfolds is that she finds herself marrying into a family. Now, this family had two sons, and so she married one son, and her friend, friend Orpah, not Oprah, but Orpah, married the other one. And so as she married into this family, she found herself living with her in-laws. How exciting! I know I could say a lot of in-law jokes, but I'm not going to do it. So we're just going to restrain ourselves there. So she's living with her in-laws, and so her in-laws, are um they you pretty much, and this was very common back in the, that day, they would just add a room onto their house. And so the house just grew as, as family members got married and it just was, you know, welcome to the party, one big party. And so that's kind of how they, they would roll out. So you will see HGTV try and make a series about that and what that would look like. But, um, and as she lived with her in-laws, it was Elimelech and Naomi. And so um, they found themselves moving from Bethlehem down to Moab because there was a famine in the land. So the whole family had to move. So they really didn't have anybody but each other. And in the story, the three men die. And so it's just Naomi with her two daughter-in-laws. And so Naomi tells her daughter-in-laws, go back to your families, go back to your families. And so Orpah does. She goes back to her family. But Ruth says, I'm not going back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with you. And so in this epic heroine line. This is what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. She said to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Such loyalty. She had incredible loyalty to Naomi. And so they ended up going back to Bethlehem. And as they went back, Ruth uh, remarried. She married Boaz. And together they had a family. And one of her sons was David. It became King David. We talked about him last week with the Enneagram Fours. And David was in the line of Jesus. And so Ruth has this beautiful story of loyalty and how her Enneagram sixness was something that was so helpful to the kingdom of God. 
Now there's another story, and someone that I absolutely adore in scripture is Peter. Now Peter was just a hot mess, which is why probably so many of us identify with Peter. But Peter was also someone who had a lot of passion in life. Um, he was a strong leader, but he dealt with a lot of fear. And there's an episode in scripture that gives us this account of one time that Peter was out on the water, and it's pretty much what he knew. He was a fisherman, and so he'd grown up that way. He knew a lot about what it meant to be a, a sailor and be out on the water. And Jesus had asked the disciples to go on ahead of him. Jesus went off to pray on a mountain, and the disciples all got in a boat, and they went out for the night without Jesus. And so while Jesus spent the night alone and praying, the disciples were out there. Now, Peter, I mean, he'd seen it all. He'd weathered a lot of storms, he, waves and wind. I mean, it was something he was used to. But after a long night, this account says there was a storm. And so there was a lot of wind and there was a lot of waves pounding the boat. And like, if you're ever out in a boat, a little bit of waves can be a gentle lull. But when you're hit by a storm, man, it is hard to sleep. And so I can only imagine, because the scripture says that this happened when the dawn was coming. So the night was pushing out, the dawn was coming in. And Peter looked out and he saw something he had never seen before. Now this man was water safe. He was battle worn. He'd seen a lot, but he saw something he had never seen before. And he looked out and he's like, it's not a boat. It is not another ship coming towards me. It's not even like a swimmer, someone man overboard. Like, what is that? What is that that he sees? And then the worst case scenario arose in Peter's soul. His Enneagram 6 fear nature rose up and he said, it is a ghost. And all of the disciples responded with fear when they saw something they did not know. And this is what scripture says about this account. Um, he says, um, Jesus came out to him immediately and he said, take courage, don't be afraid. Well, this is a place that we often find ourselves, isn't it? Fear, not just sixes, but all of us, right? We live in this place of fear. Like, is my marriage really going to make it? Are my kids ever going to make a good decision? Or are they going to end up homeless? Are, am I going to be able to survive what I see happening in our world? It feels like worst case scenarios all over the place when I watch the news. And actually, the 11 o'clock news plays on these fears, right? Like every night when you watch the news, the world is ending, you are going to die, right? Every night, the world is ending, you are going to die. They love to play on our fears. This is how they, they draw us in. And so when Jesus spoke to him, he said, take courage. This ghost actually had a name. It was Jesus. He says, take courage. Don't be afraid. And don't you love how Jesus says this? Take courage. Sometimes I think we think that you either have courage or you don't have courage. You're either born with it or sorry, you're not born with it. And Jesus says, take hold of it. Hold on to it. Walk in it. Walk in courage. Don't be afraid. Now, the Bible says over 360 times, don't be afraid. That is almost one time per day of the week. You get like five freebie of courage days. But every other day, don't be afraid. Take courage. And so... Um, Peter calls out to him and he says in scripture, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter, he got out of the boat. 
We give Peter a hard time, don't we? But how many disciples got out of the boat? Eleven of them were sitting on their bums in the boat. Only one of them got out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat. He walked on water. Can you imagine what that must have been like? He walked on the water and he came towards Jesus. So right there, Peter was able to overcome his fear, hold on to courage, and Jesus let him walk on water. And you know, sometimes it is easy for us um, to think that we are not going to make it. And sometimes we get distracted, and Peter did too. Because as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and he looked at the water and the wind, he began to sink. Scripture says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. That fear, that core sin of fear rose up in his soul. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And isn't this the place there where we live? When we keep our eyes on Jesus, we think our marriage can make it. But as soon as we look at our spouse, we're like, I'm sinking. <laughs> we think our kids are going to make it. They are going to thrive when we keep our eyes on Jesus. But as soon as we take our eyes off Jesus and we look at all the sacrifices we're making, we begin to sink. We think, we are going to make it with our finances. And as we are keep our eyes on Jesus, we can do this. And as soon as you look at your bank account, begin to sink. You students, you sit in church and you think, okay, I can do this. And as soon as you get out on campus, man, it's hard, right? And we sit here and think, we can do this. We can live as a Christ follower and we get to work. And it's like, oh, we start to sink. Peter, too, was someone who felt that pull that that challenge with the wind and the waves but I want to show you how Jesus responded because once again Jesus was dealing with someone who he knew probably was an Enneagram six so rather than chastise Peter and say Peter you should have if he's a one he would have been like Peter you chose wrong you should have stayed in the boat that was the right choice but he didn't respond as a one he didn't respond as a three Peter if you want to successfully walk on water eyes on me dude keep your eyes right here right but this is how Jesus responded to Peter. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him safe, secure, caught. And then he said, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Jesus is our savior and he saves us every day. Why did you doubt? So as our worship team comes up, let's just look at a few things of what we can learn from our sixes. We learn devotion. Um, devotion is something that our sixes are so good at being loyal to us and, and hanging in there with us, like, just like Sam did. Courage. Here's a quote for our sixes. Courage is not an absence of fear. Courage is fear walking, right? Do it afraid. Do it scared. We still do it. Preparedness. Um, our sixes are great at preparedness. I have been so blessed to have, and the most amazing ministry assistant, Denise Dotson, served with me for so many years. And I can tell you, no one on earth is more prepared than she is. Every time we do an event or do ministry together, I'm like, oh, I wish we had this. And she's like, I got it. And I'm like, oh, if only we had this. She's like, I got it. She is prepared, and I love it. Trustworthiness. Shakespeare said, love all trust a few. And this is something that we can learn that is important for us, that we need to love everybody, but we do need to be selective in who we trust. And team orientation. They're good at being team players. 
And here's just some, a few practical steps for our sixes. Embrace daydreams and suppress daymares, right? Instead of the worst case scenario about every situation and creating your own daymare, create a daydream and hold on to it. Memorize verses that are gonna fill you with courage and peace. There's tons of them. You need to know them in your heart and your mind and claim them. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, says the Lord. Memorize David's speech before he goes before Goliath. I come before you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Or think of the words of Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome. Hold on to those scriptures as your own. Ask what is the best that could happen rather than what is the worst. Practice positivity and then trust in your community of friends. So we're going to get ready just to finish up this morning with a worship song. And as we're worshiping today, we're going to have some pastors in the front. If there's anything that you would like prayer for, anything going on in your life at all that we could be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please come on down. We would love to pray with you um, as we kick into worship today.